With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everyone, to Rock'em Nation Podcast. This is an episode of Dive Cuts. We are on Season 3. This is Episode 10. Uh, I'm your host, Sam Snelling, and with me is uh, future uncle, Matt Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm well. I'm actually in Columbia, Missouri. I am. Uh, it's glad to be back in the homeland, as always, and uh, it's good to know that uh, I can now uh, help undermine my uh, brother's parenting for years to come. <laughs> Uh, just minutes from Mizzou Arena, where the three-point bricks have been building all season long. Um, we are on the heels. Uh, it is Wednesday night, just before Thanksgiving. Happy uh, early Thanksgiving to everybody. I'm sure most of you will be listening to this uh, probably on Thanksgiving or shortly thereafter. I hope your holiday was good. Uh, I've got uh, an Eagle Rare in hand. I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you've already had several. Um bourbons and and other such treats uh but have since sobered up right we're ready to podcast oh yeah i'm just um, i'm i'm drinking uh hot cocoa right now so uh being infantile in all ways right now hmm. i'm just glad we can help people avoid their families for like 35 minutes tomorrow like if there's you know once <laughs> the conversation turns to politics just put us on and it'll be just as stressful for you, but you won't have to actually talk to anybody else. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what's uh, like worse or more touchy to talk about right now: Mizzou sports or the current political landscape. Um, 
So uh, one certainly has uh, more impact on, on the world, but the other is uh, still important to our hearts. And uh, the Missouri Basketball Tigers are coming off a pretty dismal uh, Hall of Fame classic, um, going up against uh, two pretty good teams. Um, don't want to take anything away from Butler, Oklahoma. I think those are two teams mm-hmm. that... Uh, are certainly looking like they can be NCAA tournament teams. Uh, I was actually more impressed with Oklahoma uh, than I was in, obviously, their first game against Stanford. I thought Oklahoma just looked awful. Um, But that was the Oklahoma team I thought we were more likely to see um, with some guys who can shoot it, uh, some athleticism around the basket, uh, and a a fairly deep roster of guys who I I think will, will be able to make a little noise in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, uh, you know, I think we knew Reeves, Doolittle, were guys that you had to be aware of. Manic has, you know, always sort of been, you know, kind of, you know, a complimentary piece. But I've always thought he's been a really, really um, interesting stretch five guy for them. Uh, has really been a crucial floor spacer and kind of helps make, you know, Kruger's system go there. You know, he's not going to be a guy that, you know, a lot of people know about. But he's, you know, that piece that is integral to scheme fit and, you know, uh, obviously... Um, he helped bury Missouri early last night, so it was, you know, it was, you know, they looked like a team that I think found a little bit of themselves in Kansas City, um, which unfortunately came at Missouri's expense because I think that's what a lot of Tiger fans were hoping for was to see what um, happened to Oklahoma, happened to Missouri, that they would be a team that would come in and sort of, you know, get a semblance of identity. Instead, I think they're walking out with uh, a lot more questions. We certainly have a lot of questions, and most of those. Uh kind of surround the the offense um the defense wasn't great early on in either game um i don't know mm-hmm. if that's so much scout or execution or what was going on uh, missouri has really been good all year defensively and they just looked sort of out of sorts uh to start each game and uh and got behind big uh early and i i it's one of those things like if there was any sort of hope uh, in either of those games, like just to stem that early tide uh, and, and not, instead of getting down, um, you know, 15 or 18, or I think in both first halves, they were down 18 at one point. Um, if, if you are able to prevent that from kind of extending out past 10, as you sort of get your bearings, usually that becomes a lot more uh, sort of easy to work your way back from. And uh, and certainly when you look at maybe like the difference between Butler and Xavier, you know, Missouri had a lot of success kind of coming back against Xavier, even though they, they ultimately ended up losing. Um, Butler's efficiency on offense and their ability to sort of, you know, play through their, their regular offense and, and generate good looks, uh, even against a, a defense, which I thought Missouri's defense was playing pretty well uh, outside of the first few minutes. Um, you know, if you kind of look at the numbers, like they were able to uh, turn Butler over, which Butler doesn't really turn the yeah. ball over a lot. Uh, you know, they were able to sort of, you know, bring down Butler's uh, shooting percentages. Um, but against Oklahoma, I mean, there were stretches where the defense was able to kind of, um, you know, force OU into some some difficult looks and, and whatnot. But, but every time it seemed like Missouri was able to kind of get it down, uh, the Sooners, you know, always kind of had an answer. And I think to a degree, like Butler was able to do the same thing. Uh, the difference, of course, just being that 
you know, when it came to Oklahoma, they were, I don't know, uh, trying to like think exactly the way I want to phrase this. Um, but it, they were able to get shots in the positions when they wanted them to. When they needed a critical basket, they were able to get Reeves isolated in a ball screen. They were able to get too, do little to the mid post. They were it able, was like I think, watching to get, an NBA game. Yeah. Like, Missouri was on a run, and they would do dribble handoffs until they got the, the matchup they wanted, and then they would go 1-4 low and let their guy operate, mm-hmm. and it, it worked. Yeah. So... Any lessons yeah, that I, you you sort of you know take from that? I mean, I just like I felt I the, the frustration just, of Missouri fans. Is I think what I'll say. I think the frustration was in both games. But granted, I was at a watch party for the Butler game, but I think the one thing that like sort of I saw in both starts was you know Butler and Oklahoma kind of kept hitting and hammering home the same actions early. Like they would come down and they would run some variant of what they had done the previous possession, and you just didn't see Missouri handle it well. And whether, like I think you said before we went on, whether that was the scout or whether it was on floor execution, I think that was particularly frustrating because you know both those teams figured they were going to cool a little bit, but I think to watch a guy like Brady Manick, I think three of his four threes were all off the same action. Really, they were a kind of a, a pick-and-pop side ball screen action. And I think you sort of also pointed this out to me, just how Missouri defended that was, you know, not very fundamentally sound. And they kept going back to it. And, you know, Konzo called timeout and, you know, got him in, you know, made the tweak, decided to go to a small ball lineup with four guards and maybe a small ball five. But I think that was just disconcerting that, like, four to five trips down the floor – Nobody on the floor for Missouri defensively picked up like they're running the same thing. They're doing the same thing. And what we did the last trip down didn't work. I get that like you're in live action and things happen, but I think that was sort of disconcerting was to either see the scout was that wrong or to see Missouri, you know, not be able to sort of pick up like, oh, they're doing the same thing consistently. So I think that was more frustrating was I think kind of the lack of maybe the situational awareness there. And, you know, to sort of put themselves in that position, you know, to, you know, give OU the shot that it wanted um, and Butler the shot that it wanted. Um, I think we'll talk about offensively just, you know, this offense is going to run through Tillman. Um, We can talk maybe about, you know, maybe tweaks or personnel and everything. But, you know, there's just not a lot of playing off the post right now. You know, there's not guys looking to cut into space there's not guys you know clocking or you know relocating off the ball it's you know i think when you're watching it there are three or four guys with heels in the paint and nobody around tillman is moving and like it's just it's hard to ask tillman to make something happen from that and guys have scouted him they know what shot he wants to get to they know what kind of finishing move he wants to work to they know when they want to send the dig and you know it's you know, there's only so much he can do in those sort of situations. So I think it was on one end, you know, just not picking up the scout or not executing cleanly. And then just, you know, sort of standing back and waiting for Tillman to make something happen and not, you know, doing, you know, enough to sort of create offense for themselves, you know, instead of just saying, oh, we're going to throw it in the post and magically there's going to be a kick out that comes to one of us and we're going to get a jumper. 
So I think that was just more of the frustration there was it didn't seem like on either end there was, I hate to say engagement, but it just seemed like there was just a lack of execution earlier, a lack of situational awareness. So I think that's what stood out to me. Yeah, so two tough losses. Um, Missouri now stands at four and three. Um, they have fallen all the way to 49 or 50. Uh, 49. They're at 50 right now. 50 right now in Kempom. Um, that's a 20-spot drop, uh, which you know happens when you don't execute on either end the way that you're supposed to uh, or that the computer uh, sort of expects you to uh, execute. Um if there is good news to, to kind of come out of that, uh, it was nice to actually see a three-pointer from Torrance Watson uh, go through the net. Three of them. Uh, in fact, there were three of them. Uh, and I know it kind of set off the air, but where would M- Missouri have been in that game if Torrance Watson doesn't find a way into three three-pointers? Because um, offensively, they were just an absolute disaster. They were They struggling. were dead in the water. Struggling so much to find any kind of cohesion. Um, it seemed every time, like, you know, Tillman touched the ball, there were four guys in the paint. There were guys, you know, digging at the ball. Uh, and they would kick it out, and then, like, not a lot would happen. Um, it, it, there was just so little kind of movement happening, and and it, it got kind of frustrating to watch. And so, um, if memory serves, I believe... Torrance Watson's first three came when Missouri was down 20 to seven. Uh, and he hit another one. Um, so he basically bracketed. Yeah. I'm just pulling this up. He bracketed an Oklahoma three, uh, from Brady Manick, that dude. Um, thank God also Brady Manick decided not to shoot the way he did out of the gates through the entire game because, um, I think both him and Austin Reeves kind of being a little liberal with their shot taking uh, is one of the things that kind of allowed Missouri to get back into the game. Um, yeah, they fell in love with some jumpers. And and some of those were like not great shots either. No, no. They were contested or some of them were early clock, which I get like, oh, you is going to want to play it a little bit of a faster clip and they're going to want to get into some early offense stuff, but there were somewhere I thought they were pressing a bit, but that's neither here nor there because it didn't really matter in the end. Well, yeah, so uh, so Torrance hits a three to kind of keep it to 10 after the, it went back to 13. And then like two and a half to three minutes go by before he hits his third three. And I'm just thinking like, what are they doing for that amount of time? Missing all kinds of shots. Eh. So well, it didn't Missouri... help either too that they had. Well, they pulled Tillman at the same kind of period because they had to make the concession defensively too, and which I, I get why you did it because for two games in a row, teams have kind of started to target him in switches. But they put I think Mitchell Smith on the floor, and then they went to a four guard lineup, and so you just didn't have a lot of offensive creators on the floor. So I think it was more, hey, let's see if we can get stops first and see if we can just try and stem the tide and maybe chip away a bit and then we'll go back to it. And maybe we can, and also Drew, I think it picked up a couple quick fouls too. So they were having to work through that a bit. So it just was not a great start conducive to 
anything positive outside of Torrance, you know, hitting a couple of threes to really keep this thing from turning into an early avalanche. Yeah, so th- that's that's all bad. Um, defensively, where Missouri is right now, uh, if you take their whole body of work, it, like obviously there were there were lapses uh, in in Kansas City. We'll we'll put it nicely. Um, there were lapses, and I don't I don't tend to worry a, a whole lot about the defensive side of the ball. I think their the rebounding has suffered with some of the smaller lineups that Conzo Martin has has kind of gone to, and uh, and even you know playing a lot of um, whether it's it's Javon Pickett an undersized four or if he goes with you know the guys who he really wants to to play the four, which is both Trey Jackson and Kobe Brown, guys that have some size. Uh, younger guys just don't quite you know rebound as well um you know and i think they're a little bit more prone to to ball watching so uh, missouri's rebounding uh in particular has has not been as as good as we sort of kind of expected to but when we talk about like where you and i sort of expected missouri to be which i think is in that kind of you know middle of the pack of the sec and and with a few breaks kind of being at the top of that uh, which I still think is absolutely positive. I think if you look at the the way the SEC is, it, yeah, it, it, they're they're scaring uh, nobody right now. I mean, it's it's pretty comical. Um, I think Mississippi State is the only team that's actually jumped uh, ahead of them. So um, as far as like you know what's going to happen in league play, I, I think I think Missouri is still going to be fine. Um, you know, but very clearly the issue that they have in this team is is offensively and offensively they're currently 90th in adjusted efficiency in offense at 103.3 uh, per game um i think if you just take their raw numbers like they're they're under a point per possession which um that's not good um and a lot of that just kind of comes down to their three-point shooting which there's another thing you know that you and I kind of talked about off the air, and I think I brought it up a little bit in study hall. Missouri, amazingly enough, has sort of kind of addressed their issues offensively from last year, which they were a good three-point shooting team, they, but they were horrible around the rim, like horrible. And yeah, uh, they're 42nd in two-point efficiency, and. Uh, I think I actually sent you the synergy numbers uh, via chat like late last night um, that they're like shots around the rim on, I, th- I think it was both post-up and non-post-up are rated as very good and excellent, um, which is basically saying like where they rank amongst the country is 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 basically uh, is really good. So they've cleaned up something that was, a bit of an Achilles heel for them last year. And at the same time, like the three point shooting is just kind of taking a nosedive. Um, Mark Smith is not shooting as well. Um, but he's still at 39%. Uh, he's running hot and cold, which was not an issue a year ago. He's more consistent, but that that's neither here nor at this point. It's he, He's shooting better than anyone else on this roster. And I looked this up. Missouri's 50th in uh, efficiency around the rim. They were not that a year ago, and on post-ups, they are uh, 24th 
So they're basically a top 50 team around the rim. Like, and their free throw rate is up there as well. So they are doing what we wanted to do and generating offense at the rim and around and in close proximity. They just can't make a shot to save their life. <laughs> and it, it, and I think that's one of the reasons why I was like so relieved to see Torrance Watson actually make some jumpers is I feel like Mark Smith is a little bit below where we kind of hoped he would be. Uh, and in particular, uh, you know, I mentioned kind of before we came on, um, and I mentioned this in study hall too, like his, he was four for eight last night against Oklahoma. Uh, three of those came in his last three shots. Um, so before that, he was one of five. So his streakiness, like you were kind of mentioning, has been a little bit of a problem. Um, but Torrance Watson, I think, is somebody who we all sort of expected him to kind of roll through the way he was playing at the end of the year last year, the way he was shooting in particular. Um, you know, I think he still kind of struggles getting the ball to the rim and, and struggles on, on drives. Um, but I still expected his, his shooting to be there, and it, and it hasn't been until until last night. And... Uh, Outside of Torrance, like there is nobody hitting shots. I think uh, nope. I think you know Drew made one right. I think his his was like the first uh, uh, field goal make that Missouri had last night uh, from three. Um, you know he he hit a couple against Xavier, but other than that, I mean he's he's five for eighteen, and he kind of has this kind of funky push shot, which. You know, I noticed uh, watching the film of him at Evansville, but it's one of those things you're like, what? you know, if he's shooting at like a 40% clip, uh, like I, I I can take a guy with a little bit of a funky shot if it's efficient. Um, but everybody else is just, I mean, throughout the roster, the shooting is is, is horrid. And Pinson's fallen off a cliff. He's one of 15. You know, you're looking at, I mean, really, Pinson was probably, what, their third best shooter last year on the roster. Uh, your freshmen aren't shooting the ball well. They're a combined 5 of 26 from the floor. And I, I would I mean, like to so, point out, yeah, the three-point line was moved back. Um, but that shouldn't, I mean, that so that should cause your shooting to dip by... And it has two, nationally. Two or, two or three percent, maybe. Uh, and shooting should, over the course of the season, improve. Uh, and you kind of expect it to, um, but I don't think anybody expected Missouri to be shooting about twenty-seven percent from three-point range as a team. Uh, if you take Mark Smith shooting off, like it, it, it just goes into a hole. I think I, I figured it out it was like twenty, twenty-one point eight percent or something like that, and that's just, I mean, that's not survivable. And then you talk about. When your offense relies upon uh, Jeremiah Tillman as somebody who's able to kind of create angles for the offense, and 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 through his passing and and through drawing a double team when he can when he can move the ball out, uh, part of that is, you know, if the defense does decide to double, you still have shooters who are pulling defenders away, so there's still some room for him to operate. Where right now. There isn't any room for him to operate because Missouri isn't hitting shots, so there's there's no fear in the defense of not being able to get out to a shooter fast enough. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things. It's like it's really kind of clogging 
Tillman and his ability to operate. And it, I mean, you, you can just tell his his turnover numbers are up. Um, you know, I think I think he's at like twenty five percent, which normally I think he had a pretty high turnover rate, but most of those turnovers kind of stem from uh, offensive fouls. Um, yeah, and so. I think probably he's a guy who, who's going to be in the 17, maybe 18%. He's at 25%. I think, um, what was it, a couple games ago I saw, he was near 30%. And that's that's really unsustainable for, for a guy that you rely on that much. Yeah, I mean, they've... And the other thing that they've got right now is that there's just... And I mentioned earlier, there's just not a lot happening off the ball right now. Like You would watch last year, and Missouri's... Go- the way this offense is constructed, it's going to be built around jump shooting. I mean, that's the tension that they that you want to place on the defense is you want to force them to have to decide what they're willing to give up. Are you going to solo coverage? Or are you going to give up jumpers over the top? Either way, a you know a hook shot around the rim and solo coverage or a three pointer, both high efficiency shots. It's just a question of what the trade off is. But Missouri last year, you know, was still pretty adept at. You know, when the ball would enter, they would still find ways to, you know, you know, cut, whether it was, you know, going over the top of Tillman cutting in from the wing, they were able to, you know, maybe swing the ball in and get a baseline cut cutter coming in. Once help came, stepped up from the weak side, the post defender, they were able to find some ways to get guys going to the bucket. Now, as we noted earlier, um, finishing was a problem and they've seemed to resolve that, but now there's just no incentive for teams to not take their heels out of the paint. And the only way you can really sort of unclog that right now, if you're going to stick with this personnel is guys have to hit shots. They have to force guys to quit sitting down in gaps and quit, you know, delaying those digs down. And so the question that I have is at this point, you know, do you look at changing your personnel up? Do you look at maybe, you know, trying to move out guys like Javon Pickett, or move out guys like Kobe Brown and, you know, just say, okay, we have to have two shooters on the floor. Even if Torrance, you know, isn't quite completely clear of this funk, we need that guy on the floor. We just have to have two guys that we can kick to and that we can space with. And then do you look at a guy like a Trey Jackson, you know, who I think um, I've mentioned to you last night, I is more of the post-oriented kind of, combo forward um but he's a guy who i think you can you know put in that short corner or have sort of maybe used in a ball screen situation where you can roll off of him and give you know you know a different kind of look to the defense or you know do you pick and pop him you know i just think that right now the personnel that's on the floor you know is not conducive maybe in some respects to producing the kinds of shots they want and I think that gets harder too when you look at how they've played defensively coming out of the gate. You know, I looked at this last night. They're three uh, in three high major games. The starters in 15 minutes and 48 seconds of game time have a scoring margin of minus 14. Over the other 104 minutes, it's minus 14. I mean, that's the starters have not been, I think, in in these three games to be able to get them off to the kind of start that is helpful. It's put them behind the eight ball. And, you know, I think you sort of wrote in study hall today, you know, is it time to look at making a change? I don't know if it's, you know, inserting, you know, Torrance and Trey for 
Kobe and Javon, but I think it's just, do you look at shaking things up and trying to reorient some things to give yourself an opportunity or at least maybe to, you know, jostle some other guys, you know, and get their attention and sort of say, Hey, look, you know, we need you to, we need to find solutions right now, or we need you to be engaged early in games or we're not going to put you out there. So I don't know what the solution is right now, but I, I think maybe you look at personnel and, you know, that I don't want to say that in a negative way about, you know, what Pickett and Brown provide, because they do provide some things on the floor that, that are needed, but I'm just not sure if the trade-offs right now that they're giving up offensively are necessarily worthwhile. So that's just sort of where I'm at at this point coming out of Kansas City. Yeah, and I don't know. Sometimes I uh, sometimes I think you and I should just like record before we actually start talking because <laughs> I know we do enough like sort of chatting offline um that we both sort of tend to shape opinions around each other's opinions um mm-hmm. you know because i think part of it is early on uh and and when i say early on i mean before the season started we were very high on a certain set of guys and even going back to last year uh you we both sort of point out just like yeah it's it's easy to sort of fall in love with what these guys are providing for a team that's really struggling um you know but but what's the the end game what's the result that you're hoping for um you know like Pickett is a guy who does a lot he's very versatile um but right now he gives you virtually nothing offensively against good high major teams and as much as he's able to provide now, and, and I do actually like what he uh, and, and the lines with him at the four have done. But, but the reason that I like that is because like he's basically running a position where he's not really expected to be a scorer. He, and he's supplanting uh, guys who are maybe not quite as accustomed to playing at this level, like Brown or, or, or Jackson. Um, and so you're getting a guy with experience who can kind of defend at the same level, who's going to give you, probably a little bit higher level of energy, but you're not sacrificing uh, the offense that somebody like, like Torrance Watson or Xavier Pinson uh, are capable of providing. Um, and I think like that's part of the key of, of kind of finding the right balance. And I, I that's the trick that Consul Martin is really going to have to sort of figure out uh, before things kind of get dicey. Um, at, like, I think as they're playing right now, I think, you know, they're, they're, should easily beat Charleston Southern. Um, although after watching Duke uh, lose to Stephen F. Jackson or <laughs> Stephen F. Uh, Austin, um, you know, in Cameron, anything's possible these days in this college basketball season. So you don't want to take it for granted. But uh, Missouri should absolutely beat Charleston Southern at home. Uh, going on the road to Temple should be difficult, but that's a game that they should win, even as they're currently playing. Uh, but Bragg and Rice is going to be tough. And once you get yeah. into SEC play, you're opening with Kentucky and you're moving on to Tennessee. And those teams, uh, even though they... Florida early on, too. Yeah, like, you know, three games very early on uh, that do the same thing that the Hall of Fame Classic did and Missouri sort of failed at capitalizing on, and that's providing an opportunity. Um, if Missouri shoots a little better, if they defend a little better, uh, maybe they're able to kind of, you know, flip one of those games... Um, but that didn't happen, and so now they're kind of behind the eight ball. Uh, I think 
if you want to make the instant play tournament, um, you're going to have to win one of these games and, and win a game that you're not expected to win. And right now they're not favored against Illinois. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. It's a, it's a rivalry matchup. Temple's a toss up game. Now they're, they're only a one point favorite temple right now on the road. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I still think that they're even at the level that they're playing. That the, if they're able to just go up there and be consistent defensively, they should be able to beat Temple. Um, but they they need to win that game. You know, they really don't want to go into the SEC play having four losses, uh, and that means beating Illinois. Like I really think you want to be nine and three going into uh, going into conference play. Uh, otherwise you're really going to need to probably get to that 11 win mark. And, and it's, it's achievable with, with the way that the SEC is sort of uh, shaping out. Um, but I don't necessarily think that you want to put that much pressure on your conference season. No, and, and the other way to think about it is they've really got three games left to sort of really sort of experiment and figure some things out. And that's Charleston, Southern, Southern Illinois, and Chicago State. I mean, that, that that's really your incubator time like you and i talk about all the time like you don't want to like rush to judgment we want to wait for data to come in we want to see possessions filter in to no spreadsheets and stuff but like you're almost a quarter of the way through the season now like there the time to figure this stuff out is is waning like the hope is that you would go into kansas city you know with a good bit of your rotation figured out maybe you want to try some guys in different spots, but you'd, you'd come out of that going, okay, yeah, we know we are certain about these things. We're certain about this rotation. This is, these are our key guys. This is what we want to do. This is how we want to play in Missouri. You know, Butler's walking out of there, you know, with a sense of itself, you know, Stanford had a really good trip, you know, Stanford, we, everyone was sort of like wondering what they were going to do. And, you know, they rallied against Oklahoma. They played really feisty last night and, you know, OU, you know, dropped a game, but it came back and, you know, rebounded really well. You know, all three of those teams walked out of there, I think, with a better sense of who they are. And I think Missouri's walking out going, you know, what are we? You know, what, you know, where can we go and what can we do, you know, at this point? And I think that's the more disconcerting thing is that you're halfway through non-con and there's not anything you can point to other than, you know, against maybe some weaker teams Missouri's played really well defensively and after they've gotten punched in the mouth early they've managed to you know lock down and give themselves a chance to come back but it's it's really hard right now I think and I understand why fans are frustrated because it's really hard to like look at any you know stretch out of this you know first seven games and say yeah I think I know what this basketball team is you know that, that's that's disconcerting as you, as you get ready to go into December you, you know you want to start seeing that identity sort of form. And I don't know if it's there yet. Yeah. Um, I certainly like there's a, there's time for them to still kind of get there. Um, but you certainly need to start making like your, your steps over the, like the next two or three games. Um, you know, I, I think I'm willing to sort of say, hey, like, um, M- Missouri's shooting should recover in time. 
they, they've been gotten off to a bad enough start where, you know, maybe they don't end up top 50. <laughs> uh, but as long as they're able to shoot a consistent rate from, from sort of here on out, uh, you know, make more uh, outside jumpers to sort of loosen the, you know, the interior of the court, um, you know, and then, and then sort of find uh, that level of consistency on defense. And I, I, I think that's, it's, they're still fine. So it's one of those things like there's reason to be concerned. You should be kind of concerned because we haven't seen it, but, uh, it's still a young team. There's still guys that are going to figure things out. Um, I've seen some commenters and recommendations say, say something along the lines of like the expectation is like 500 this year. And I still think that's a little ridiculous. Uh, this team has no business being 500. Um, like I think 18 wins is probably, uh, the floor. Uh, they, if they don't, if they don't get to 18, I, that's sort of before like SEC tournament stuff. Like that's pretty much all of their games combined. So if they, if they don't get to 18, uh, then something has kind of gone wrong. And certainly when we, when we talk about like Missouri sports and you look at the way the football season sort of played out, uh, anything is possible. Um, but I, I think that's what you're talking about with this season and the growth of this year is uh, 18 to 20 wins should be where they want to be um, or where we should expect them to be. And that's where I expect them to be at the end of the year. Uh, but they certainly need to kind of get things in order uh, here pretty quickly, on, on, mostly on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing to say is like, you know, given the outlet we write for and, you know, given how strident we were in the preseason, you know, I understand people, you know, having you know, pushback or flack, you know, about us, you know, saying 18 to 21 wins should be the expectation, you know, or us, you know, saying that 13th was an outrageous prediction. At the same point in time, I don't think anyone would have looked at this team and said, a, you know, the 78th best three point shooting team in the country is suddenly going to, you know, tumble all the way to 315th. Like, that's something that, you know, I don't think anyone would have expected, you know, coming into the year. But it's happened and it's unfolded. But I think, you know, and for all the defensive lapses, you know, this team has shown signs of, you know, being where it wants to be defensively. You know, the question now really is just how long does it take to get its house in order? And, you know, can and how... You know, if that happens quickly, you know, if they come out next week and they, you know, if they have a good week against Charleston Southern and they have a good, you know, road trip to Temple and, you know, the shooting percentage, you know, gets back up over 31 or 32% from three-point range and you can start to see, you know, some leveling out happen. Then I think you just say, man, it was just not the start you wanted. But, you know, to me, like, I'm looking at the Southern Illinois game as, you know, obviously the Rubicon of sorts for them. If the shooting numbers are still where they are at that point, and if you know this, and if there's still these kind of lulls, then I think you really—that's I think maybe when the alarm bells really start to kind of you know get a little bit louder. Um, but for now, I think you know I think you just have to you know be pretty sober and clear-eyed that this isn't the start that you expected. But I I don't know how much you can forecast. You know, just the precipitous drop we've seen in shooting. I, don't, I just, you know, there's nothing that, you know, when we spent the entire offseason kind of looking through things and, 
reviewing the setup here that you know would have made us think that that was possible. Um, so we're we're gonna go back and I think you and I are gonna look at film and we're gonna just see on both ends kind of what's happening. Um, is it you know a matter of scheme? Is it a matter of just execution? You know how much is you know you know luck kind of factoring into it to whatever degree you can kind of say luck matters, but. You know, I, I think it's fair for people to, you know, be concerned, but I think at the same point in time, like, give this another two weeks before you really start getting your hackles up. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably a, a safe way to look at it. Um, so we're going to wrap this up. Um, we'll have some, I think, some interesting looks at uh, this team early next week. Uh, Missouri football wraps up its season. Um on Friday uh, so I th- actually think Dive Cuts as a podcast is probably going to take a break next week I will probably um, still have some podcast content don't know if it will be basketball or otherwise uh, but we will be podcasting all next week about Missouri and its football team uh, there's a lot to talk about so be on the lookout for that um, so we will be back probably in a couple weeks uh, at which point we will kind of hit our regular weekly casting schedule so have a good holiday everybody um go follow matt on twitter if you're not subscribed blah 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 do all that kind of stuff uh, tweet uh nice things to mitchell about how well he's cutting his podcast and working late uh, on a wednesday night because he loves you all the listeners uh but we appreciate you as well um have a great holiday everyone and we'll be back in a couple weeks until then take care